0: You are about to see the worst half-hour of television ever! Young man, you've had what we call a cardiac episode. Worst episode ever. Oh, not even close. The worst episode ever. Worst episode ever. Worst parents ever! (coughs) Worst cosmic wars ever! Worst crossover ever. Worst reading ever. Worst jammed-in movie parody ever the worst movie ever and send and sip worst ending ever everybody's a critic hey fam welcome to a new episode of lm2 talks as always i'm your host larry so this episode is one that i've been hinting at on my social media for a little while now And it's a topic that's kind of near and dear to my heart. Uh, I am talking about critics this week, um, and kind of beyond that, talking about the idea of kind of disagreeing with critics. And so, in the last couple of years, I have found myself kind of becoming more and more of a critic, um, being someone who kind of did the whole art school thing. Critique and critical analysis has always been a big part of what. I've done in my life. And so I've really started to take that and do a lot more of it with the music and movies and entertainment that I love. And slowly and surely people have started to come to me to seek my opinion on different things um, that I'm watching. And um, that's part of where this podcast is coming from. The other part is uh, therapy. Um, But I really kind of wanted to talk about the idea of disagreeing with critics and, you know, really to kind of look at what are we really getting from critics nowadays and, you know, why they're not necessarily always wrong when we disagree with them. And a big part of this episode in particular came from uh, a few weeks ago, I guess it's almost a month ago now, when I saw the film uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. And a lot of people were kind of surprised by my take on it because the film got kind of panned by critics i mean to be real a lot of them were saying you know something that isn't necessarily untrue that rami malek's performance was great the music of queen was great but the film itself left a little something to be desired so when i saw it and i said you know essentially on facebook i was like critics be damned you know i loved this film I was speaking to it from a very different perspective than the normal kind of critical analysis piece of it. For me, movies are an experience, an experience meant to be held in theaters. Um, I don't talk about it too often, and maybe I'll do you know, a greater episode on my thoughts of the experiences of viewing films and everything like that, but I've hinted at it in past episodes. I've talked a little bit about it. Um, For me, films are really meant to be seen in theaters. That's why they, you know, in most cases, that's why they were kind of designed the way that they were. And so watched in a vacuum, they may not necessarily have the same kind of resonance um, that they will when you're kind of in that theater seat, when you have that great sound system and, and beautiful giant screen in front of you. And it's, it's really hard to enjoy something at the same level when you don't necessarily have that. And that's not to say that critics who were critiquing this film didn't have that. I believe they did. And I believe many of them really kind of talked about, you know, kind of the bombast and spectacle of the film that they saw. But at the end of the day, if the story didn't bring to them what they really wanted, and it felt like a piece pandering to the band, I understand that critique. Where I came at the film was my enjoyment in the theater. We're talking about a film where I was sitting next to an older couple who kind of lived through the time of Freddie Mercury and Queen as they were growing and becoming a thing, and you know, kind of their eventual rise to being, you know, this arena rock sensation. And so, to watch them kind of stand up and clap at the end of the movie, which I. I am a person who kind of despises that whole thing. Like, you know, I I want to give you know props when they're due, but you know, I'm never going to stand up in a a movie. No one, no one who's working on the film is going to see me do that unless I am at a screening with the people that have created it. Um, You know, that is what a theater going experience is all about though. I mean, it's the idea that It's like seeing a show on stage. It's supposed to be something where collectively we as an audience are kind of connecting in this way that we feel like we were a part of the production. We feel like we were a part of the show. And I think oftentimes when we look at critics, when we look at what they're actually saying about films, it is very much spoken about like it is in a vacuum. And so I think that's something that we really have to take in mind when we're kind of reading the responses to, to different films that we might be watching. They're not necessarily going to speak about the film from the actual experience that we might have in the seat, but they're looking at the actual artistic and kind of technical output of this of the film that they're talking about or of the property that they're talking about. and. I know that that's kind of challenging to, to wrap your head around because you almost have to be in kind of two minds about it. Um, and I think that's something that we need to reassess as we're looking at, all right, what is our actual media consumption look like? Are we just going to be consuming movies at home? where we might have different distractions and these things have to be technically perfect in order to keep our attention or are we looking at them from the vantage point of can this keep my attention while I'm in the theater and to be fair you know a film like Bohemian Rhapsody like I know people are are mixed on it you know there are a lot of people that are like you know they also kind of love the experience of watching this film there are a lot of people who were kind of disappointed who wanted more from it And, you know, to to be fair, it's like my experience with the film is that I loved it. I love the experience of going, but I still wanted more from it. And I think that's something that is okay. The challenge comes in in terms of how we kind of respond to critics, you know, just because someone doesn't like what we like or someone likes what we don't like doesn't mean that they're wrong and doesn't mean that they are almost like a villain uh, for stating that um, I'm a big fan of uh, screen junkies on YouTube and uh, one of their one of their guys Dan Merle is is a very outspoken critic and he has a lot of really great opinions on films and he's he's studied film he he knows the history he knows you know a lot of the ins and outs of kind of the technical production and artistry of film and so you know I, I often kind of look at you know his the responses that he gets from people and you know it's it's really kind of sad when you look at how people respond to critics you know especially when they are kind of in a you know semi-prominent role or have a channel or have a station you know people sending them death threats because they don't like something that they said or disagree with their opinion on a film and yeah, I think that's something that we really need to take a step back and really reassess. You know, how are we, how are we taking in the information that critics are presenting to us, and are we actually using it in in, in a way that's constructive and not necessarily destructive? Um, you know, this this kind of thought process led me to want to do a couple of polls on my social media. So on Facebook and Twitter, uh, I ran polls basically just to see, do people read what critics have to say? Do they um, use critics to kind of shape their viewing choices or their entertainment choices? And what, what I found was actually pretty interesting because for me, you know, I just kind of assumed that everybody was looking at what critics said before they went to the movies. I remember one of the big things uh, for me growing up was, you know, my dad would get the paper and, you know, some of the movies, we weren't, we weren't a family that necessarily saw things opening weekend. We would usually see it the weekend after because we wanted to avoid crowds and things like that. But, you know, my dad would always kind of check out in the paper, like, oh, what are they saying about this film? Or, you know, we would on Sunday mornings, we would listen to the guy on on KYW to see what he had to say about the latest films. And, you know, some of that would kind of shape what we would go see. And When I did this poll, the numbers were a little surprising to me, or or maybe not so surprising. I'm I'm a little bit in two minds about it. Um, There were it was it was pretty close, even though uh, uh, a few more people kind of edged to the no side of things on Twitter. There were a few more people that said yes. Critics um, influenced them on Facebook, and what it made me kind of realize is that you know we we are at a very mixed place where. There's a good number of people that are using critics or not using critics, and it really does come back to that kind of personal perception and, and kind of personal critique of, of what you like. You know there's always going to be those times when we know something isn't good, but we enjoy it anyway. You know, a film like Venom is a perfect example of that where it's it's not a good film. Technically, it's bad. It might have one good performance, but it's a mess but we like it for being a mess and even some critics have kind of mentioned that they they liked it for being a mess and you know is is that a problem with our taste or is that just a problem or is that more to do with the experience and the enjoyment that we find in something and so i think that's kind of the ultimate test of of some of these critiques and maybe that's the way that we need to reframe the way that we critique film so is it a matter of kind of having these two distinct areas that we talk about when we're reviewing something, you know, what was my overall entertainment with this thing? What was my overall enjoyment of it? What was the experience like taking it in, taking it in around other people? Uh, what was the feel of the crowd? Like how did other people respond to it? Um, mixed with also being able to talk about, well, here's some of the technical shortcomings. Um, You know, one of the the things that I was going to talk about later, but I'll just kind of dive into it really quickly right now, is, you know, I recently finished the game Red Dead Redemption 2, and, you know, outside of some of the... some of the process of creating it that I talked about last week in my my episode on work culture, Um, one of the things that a lot of people had problems with early on in the game is just like the feeling of it being slow and feeling like they were fighting the controls and fighting with the way that they wanted to play the game. And so from a critique standpoint, even though the game has been getting rave reviews from all these critics, a lot of the general public didn't necessarily share that same opinion, but at the same time, the story of this game is where it really shines. And so while some of the technical shortcomings might prevent it, at least in my eyes, from being a perfect game, it is nearly perfect in the entertainment that it gave me, in the story that it told me, and the way that it made me feel. And I think that's something that, you know, we really do need to to use my, one of my favorite words here, reconcile, when we're, when we're really talking about critiquing whatever entertainment property we are, you know, what does it mean to us? How does it affect us? Uh, Versus what are some of the technical and artistic shortcomings of it? And, you know, to that point, you know, the idea that, because of kind of the democratization of critique through things like social media, we have a number of different people that we can kind of hear from and we can ask those follow up questions. Oftentimes when we look at critiques in the newspaper or online or, you know, in a YouTube video, yeah, we can, we can leave comments, but we're not necessarily guaranteed to hear back from the person but if I post, Hey, I didn't like this movie or, you know, it wasn't really for me. Someone can ask those follow-up questions. Why didn't I like it? Why did I feel it wasn't for me? You know, why, why was I not bumping this album? What was the issue that I had with it? Or why didn't I enjoy playing this game? Um, and I think that goes a long way in, in helping us really start to figure out what critiques are beneficial for us. Um, and I think that's that's really the thing, you know, if we are going to be engaging with critics How can we do that consciously um, and conscientiously um, so that we're not necessarily fighting someone for having an opinion or passing judgment on something that we may love just because they don't necessarily feel the same way about it. Um, It's not fair to other people to kind of impose our tastes on everybody. Um, You know, and, and I think that's the other part of it, you know as critics become their own sort of personalities, in a sense, it's up to us to kind of determine who are the people that, whose taste most closely aligns with our own and kind of use those as the people that we go to to seek out their thoughts. Now, it might be a little bit different if you you know, consider yourself an armchair critic uh, like myself, and you want to hear what varying people have to say about something, but that's the great thing about Rotten Tomatoes. So you know, I think it's it's really important. I've talked about Rotten Tomatoes a little bit before, but just to kind of remind you, the scores that things get on Rotten Tomatoes are an aggregate. They're not necessarily, hey, you know, this movie is actually bad because it's coming up, you know, rotten or it's not good because it's coming up fresh. It just means that the reviews of the film trended positively or trended negatively, and that score is you know a result of you know kind of how many positive and how many negative scores something got the great thing there is you can go down further you can read the synopsis synopses from various reviewers and kind of see what were the things that stood out to them what were the things that bothered them and then, if you want to, you can go even further and read, you know, their full reviews if you want to know more about the exact problems that they had with with whatever property that you're looking at. And other things work the same way. Like Metacritic um, is another example. A lot of people use that for for video game scoring. Um, and I'm sure there's something for music. I don't necessarily always, you know, look into that though because, you know, I haven't found anybody who's critiquing music in a way that. You know, really speaks to me yet, um, you know. But I'm, but I'm sure I will find that thing uh, one of these days. So, you know, realistically, as always, you know, as you're looking at critiques, as you're finding yourself maybe disagreeing with critics, take it with a grain of salt because they're looking at things that are a little bit different than you are. And until we kind of figure out a way to really change and diversify the way that we are talking about films. Um, you know, we're still going to have some of that disconnect. Um, and, and again, there's always going to be those things that, you know, are universally agreed upon, you know, trash is trash. And, um, you know, most of the time, everybody will agree with that. Not to say that you can't have fun with bad movies or bad TV or bad entertainment in general. Um, you know, but I, but I think it's, it's always going to be clear, you know, what are, what are some of our clear kind of winners and losers, uh, when it comes to critical analysis, And the other thing that I would mention, too, when I get back to the idea of kind of diversifying critique is just the idea that we need more people of differing backgrounds to be critiquing films. Um, One of the films that I'm going to talk about a little bit later, uh, Green Book is one of those examples for me where, you know, what I found is uh, folks of uh, color who were critiquing that film had a very different experience than than. You know, white critics with it, and and not to say that all white critics agreed on that movie. There were there were some that were kind of vocal about how they felt about it and how they felt that you know it didn't quite do what they felt it should have done. Um, but it's something that it, it makes it a little bit more difficult to parse because. Our personal experiences definitely color (laughs) um, our way of thinking about the different entertainment that we intake. And I think that's something that we really do as a culture need to... um, Think about as we are getting more people to talk about the entertainment. So it's not just a matter of making sure that we have more representation on screen or you know, within you know these different communities of creators, but it's also making sure that we have parity in the folks that are critiquing these works and talking about these works and You know, that way we're able to speak to different audiences that don't necessarily feel like their voices are heard uh, when we are in the process of kind of talking about these pieces of art or, or entertainment. Um, So, you know, that's just my plug for, you know, hopefully encouraging some more folks of color to make their voices heard when they're going to the movies or checking out music or, you know, just kind of reviewing entertainment generally. Um, it's, It's one of those sad things when I go onto YouTube and like there's, you know, maybe, you know. Yes, there are a lot of people of color who might be reviewing things there, but they're not the ones who have big channel followings. They're not necessarily the ones who people are going to. And there's a part of me that wants to kind of see that change. there's a big part of me that wants to see that change. There's a part of me that really wants kind of that landscape to, you know, once again, be more representative of the people here in the United States uh, and across the world so that we are really able to speak to different audiences from different perspectives so that there's a greater understanding of why we may not have liked something that everybody else loved. Um, So, yeah, so that's my rant and ramble about critiques and critics. Um, you know, definitely... Feel free to shoot your comments over to me. I, I really want to hear what other people have to say about this topic. Um, I got some great responses on Twitter and Facebook when I asked about critics in general, uh, but I really want to hear some more thoughts on on how people actually respond to critics and and what they would like to see more of from our from our kind of critique culture. What are ways that we can change what we're doing? And and make it better, make it easier for people to use and understand, and you know, really showcase, you know, kind of a holistic approach to uh, sharing opinions on entertainment and art. So, moving into our next section, uh, we're going to get into some spoiler-free reviews, and one of the films that I mentioned earlier, Green Book. Is uh, the first one that I want to talk about, and this is a this is a film that was very critically well received. Um, I think at the time that I'm recording this, you know, it's it's trending fresh on Rotten Tomatoes at like an 83%. And what I will say, what what I did like about this film, I thought the leads, um, Vigo Mortensen and, and Mahershala Ali, were fantastic. They are both fantastic actors. They're actually two of my favorite actors. I've been obviously following their careers for a very long time, and I feel like they had really great chemistry together. The film was well acted. It was well directed. It looked good. The problem for me is, you know, it's a story about race relations and, you know, kind of this idea of overcoming difference and, you know, Showing respect for one another despite who we are, who we were born as, our life choices, everything like that. And for me, the film just felt a little too clean, a little too neat, and a little too shallow. And, you know, it's, it's one of those films that as soon as I saw the trailer, I think the first comment that I had for it was, oh, this is the Oscar baitiest Oscar bait movie I've, I've ever seen a trailer for. And I still stick with that. After seeing the film, you know, while I I can't say it's bad, but I can say that I hated it. And you know, it it is exactly that 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 bit for me, where it's like, you know, yes, we live in divisive times, but to make a shallow, clean film about how we can all get along, it feels feels disingenuous to me, and it it's not something that that I enjoyed. But it's a film that I know other people are going to love. And I know it's a film that people are going to take a lot of lessons from. So, um, you know, again, you know, as I just said in kind of the piece on critics, you know, take that with a grain of salt. That's just my opinion on it. You might see it and feel completely differently. You might love it. Uh, Like I said, I guarantee you'll some of you will probably love it. I I have a number of friends who saw the film and, and had a great time with it, really enjoyed it. It just wasn't for me. A film that was more for me, however, and not just because it has superheroes, was in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. You know, it's the new animated Spider-Man film from Sony Animation, um, and it features Miles Morales, who in the comics was created, um, you know, he was the Black Spider-Man. And you know, it's, it's, it's really fun to see this on screen because it's not solely about, Hey, we have this black Spider-Man, even though that's a big part of it. And, and when I say black, it's, it's, he's not just black. He's a multi-ethnic Spider-Man. You know, he is, he is black and Latin X, you know, he is a part of multiple diaspora. He speaks Spanish and English and, you know, he's, Ends at hip hop and R and and graffiti and all of that and you know at the same time we also are exposed to these different versions of Spider Man or Spider Woman even Spider Ham and in, in one case it's not a spoiler it's in the trailers check them out um, but this film was a lot of fun um, and it's from the the people that did the Lego movie and I believe Lego Batman movie and you know for for how so many of us are tired of superhero films, I feel that Into the Spider-Verse did a really good job of kind of breaking out of some of that mold. Like, yes, there are superhero movie things that happen in it, but it's really not so much about the superheroics, but about being, you know, kind of true to yourself and kind of finding your place and your way of doing things, um, within the context of your own story. And I thought I think the messaging of this film is great. It's, it's something that I really wish uh, had existed when I was a kid. Um, I have a piece on my blog about growing up as a black nerd. And, and this is, this is really one of those films that I feel like would have, would have changed so much of my outlook had it existed when I was growing up. Um, You know, not to say that I'm, that I'm broken in some way or, or, you know, I would ever want to change anything about the way that I grew up, but I think this this film can be great for young people who are kind of finding their place in this very confusing time. And you know, I, I invite everybody to really partake in this film. It comes out uh, at the time that I'm recording this. It's going to come out tomorrow. I was lucky enough to get to see one of the advanced screenings that AMC had this past weekend. Um, the voice cast is spectacular. The music is spectacular. The animation is amazing, and the post-credit scene is also fantastic. Also, you know, as many of you know, Stan Lee had passed away recently, and for me, um, thinking about my relation to Spider-Man and the way that I had always kind of heard Stan Lee talk about Spider-Man, I feel like this version. Of Spider-Man, this Spider-Man story really achieved what he had always talked about the character representing. Um, and I, and I think it was, is a really beautiful take. Um, it's, it's emotional. It's funny. I think most people will have a good time. If you don't, I'd really want to hear what robbed, robbed, blah, 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 blah. I'd really want to hear what rubbed you the wrong way. Um, also, to just to be fair, the, I, the post-credit scene is hilarious, and you know, one of and the Stanley cameo in the film is is one of the best I, I've seen in a really long time. So um, definitely check that out. Let me know what you think. One of the other things that I did this weekend was I binged Netflix's Big Mouth, um, and you know, I know a lot of people, myself included, kind of looked at this thing and thought, oh, this is just a juvenile, you know, comedy cartoon about sex and everything like that. But what I really thought it was, was a great kind of animated coming of age kind of story, looking at the way that we examine sex education and puberty and the awkwardness of it all. And you know, some of the things that we struggle with as we're growing up. Um, and I thought it was a really smart take on all of these things. It's easy to pass it off as just kind of gross humor, but if you really kind of dive into the way that they're approaching these topics and talking about them and kind of examining the psyche of adolescents, I think it's, it's something that's really, really special. And, you know, Again, it's one of those things that I know is not going to be for everybody, uh, but I would invite you to take a look at it if you think those kind of topics are something that you might be interested in. And one more review, and I might be giving you know a much deeper review on this later on, but as I mentioned in my critique portion, I recently finished uh, Red Dead Redemption 2, not just the main story, but the epilogues as well. Uh, There's still a little bit of cleanup that I need to go and do in the game. There's a lot of hunting that I need to do left. Um, And, you know, despite a lot of the issues that the game had, bugs, weird controls, Feeling like you're fighting against the game to do the things that you want to do. I think ultimately the story is where this game, well, and story performances and the music are really where the shine. Everything from a story perspective um, was it was top tier. You know, I I've heard it described as you know like watching you know a few a season of a of a great television show when it came down to like the main story missions of the game and i would wholly agree with that there's so many great homage is to uh various classic western films spaghetti western films post western films um there's a lot of really interesting philosophy and the way that your choices kind of manifest in this game really showcase a different way of thinking about, you know, kind of creating video games and, and creating a sim. And I know it's not as, you know, robust as like every decision you make in the game affects something else later on. Um, but I think the choices that they did give you in terms of how you approach your play style in the game, essentially, whether you are good or bad, I, I know again, not, not a new concept, but I feel the way that those choices manifest in the game, um, especially with a late game choice that you have to make in the game, really, really did something magical. And I, and I found myself wanting to, you know, even though I wasn't ready to dive back in and, and, you know, replay this game, which I'm pretty sure I spent, you know, close to 150 hours playing my first time through. Um, I found myself wanting to really go back and watch what the other endings that I missed were. So moving on from our spoiler-free reviews, um, one of the things that I wanted to talk about that I loved this week um, is a YouTube channel called Lessons from the Screenplay, uh, in which their host, Michael, dives into different films and takes a look at the screenplay and compares it to um, some of what happened in the final film to look at ideas of dialogue and story structure and character arcs uh, to really expose why some of our favorite film moments work and what it is about them that kind of sets them apart. And there's a lot of really great things that he does because he's looking at not just classic films, but he's also looking at some of those blockbusters and why are some of those blockbusters that we love so much transcendent? What are the choices that they make that allow them to You know, kind of be beyond just being, you know, a superhero movie or just being an action movie. What are the subtle choices? What are the acting directions that were given? What were the line choices? How did these characters get built up? There's a really great episode that he has on the film *The Devil Wears Prada*, uh, really just examining how they established their characters. And you know, I thought that was really interesting. You know, what can we be told within? you know, basically what can we be told within the first five minutes of the film that kind of set up everything that we need to know for the rest of it. Um, definitely check it out. If you have an interest in either screenwriting or filmmaking, or you just want to know why something resonated with you the way it did. Um, definitely go check him out. And yeah, I think that brings us to a close on another episode. I'd really love to get more questions from you all so that I could actually have some uh, questions and answers in my questions and answers section. Um, to be fair, though, I know my episodes have been running a little bit long recently, mostly because on the last few topics that I've had, I've there was a lot that I wanted to get out. There was a lot that I wanted to say. So yeah. Um, As always, on social media, hit me up at Larrytron pretty much everywhere. Um, Or send me an email, Larry at lm2photo.com. Those are the two best ways to get in touch with me. Feel free to shoot me your questions, your critiques, your concerns. As always, you can find the podcast pretty much anywhere where you listen to podcasts. I am on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, I'm on TuneIn, Stitcher, I'm on SoundCloud, and finally, Finally, people, I am on Spotify, so there is no longer an excuse for not listening to me talk. I mean, you, you you may not like the way that I talk, and and that's fine. But you know, I, I'd really appreciate it if you would like comment and subscribe, um, and definitely wherever you're listening to this, please leave a review. It helps other people find my podcast. It also helps me understand what I'm doing right, what I'm doing wrong, and how I can improve this, how I can give you more of what you want to hear me talk about. So, as always, it's been great. Can't wait to talk to you again. See you later. Peace. Oh,